If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered training organisation number 31352. Larissa Bilston from Pharmalogic, who we've had on before as a previous guest, number 120. So if you'd like to know a little bit more about Larissa, go back, listen to that episode, and then come forward to this one. Larissa's going to talk to us today about 10 things horse owners should know about calcium, oxalates, and their pastures. How are you, Larissa? I'm well, thanks. And you? I'm very well, yes. Larissa, why these subjects? What's so important about this subject? Tell us a little bit about horse owners that you've come across that may not have had the knowledge and what may have happened or just give us a bit of a background story. A lot of people are very frightened of oxalates um, because horses can develop osteoporosis or big head as a result of, of eating too much oxalate and not having their calcium and phosphorus and oxalate levels balanced. Yep. So I wanted to talk to your listeners today to help sort of reassure people that um, there are some good things about high oxalate pastures. They offer some benefits. Um, and yes, it's very important that you manage your horse's nutrition properly if you do have high oxalate pastures, but it's not something to panic about. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's good. Let's talk about it then. So the first thing we're going to talk about is whereabouts in Australia, because most of our listeners are from Australia, but gee, we're getting a bigger range from around the world. I can't remember how many different countries we're in now, but, you know, this uh, sort of look at the map and there's quite a few different places. So we'll talk about where in Australia high oxalate grasses grow, and you might also give us a bit of a tip where other people can find out just information about grasses in their local area. So what's that? Where do they grow within Australia? So most of the species that are high oxalate have evolved in tropical or subtropical regions. So around the world and in Australia, you can expect to find a mixture of high oxalate and low oxalate uh, grass species in areas where horses are kept. Having said that, Haikuyu is a high oxalate grass and it's very, very widespread. It's been used as a as a lawn grass and it, it extends right down into our tropical zone, uh, sorry, into our temperate zone. So along the coast, the entire eastern coast of Australia certainly um, has a lot of kaikuyu in horse paddocks. A lot of ex-dairy country is is likely to have kaikuyu. Um, Right down even into Tasmania and the north of the North Island of New Zealand. So whilst high oxalate grasses tend to be an issue for for the people in the north, you do need to be conscious of whether or not you've got Kaikuyu, um, even if you're living down the coast somewhere or, or even in the southern states. Mm-hmm. Well, that sort of brings us to the second tip, which you've got about know your grasses, about knowing the main plant species that are growing in your horse's paddock and which ones have high oxalis levels. So can you talk to us about that? Yeah, sure. So it is worth taking some time to take photos of your grasses when they're in seed. It's basically a, a botanist will identify 
grass plant more from the seed and the seed head than from the leaves or, or the plant when it's young and short. Um, so getting some pictures or taking some plants to um, your local nursery or Department of Ag or Prior Industries, even sitting down with them in front of the computer and, and checking out some online grass ID resources. If you just Google high oxalate grasses or grass identification, you'll come up with there are, there are a host of, of very good sites, um, Australian sites. So the kinds of grasses that you're on the lookout for that are high oxalate are things like Ceteria. Ceteria is, is often, um, has often been sown cattle. So if, you're, if your country used to carry a lot of cattle or still has beef cattle in the area, chances are you may have some Ceteria if you're living in the north. And in the north is probably realistically north of Sydney. Um, buffalo grass is another high oxalate grass that, that tends to be more in, in the north and in the west. Um, so a lot of a lot of people out in western Queensland have issues with buffalo grass. Um, Paragrass, signal grass, pangola grass are also high oxalate grasses that tend to occur probably more in the north, maybe even up into the Northern Territory. Humidicola up in the Northern Territory is a, is a high oxalate grass. Um, cream panic is fairly widespread and that's a high oxalate grass. It tends to do well um, on sandy country and it's one of the grasses that really go, grows very quickly rain mm-hmm. so there are there are a number of high oxalate grass species out there that you need to be aware if they're in your horse paddock yep yep and and that's sort of again i like the way that you've made these follow on but the observing the species so we've got to look at look well we should be looking at our horse's behavior anyway you know we should be observing their behavior and their welfare and the way of going but you're talking about the differentiation between the species of grasses they prefer to graze so if there's a couple of different species which ones do they graze on and you said here that low oxalate grasses are more palatable yes they do tend to be so even if you've got a fair bit of high oxalate maybe maybe you've got 50 percent high oxalate grass species in your paddock and 50 percent low oxalate that's not an automatic guarantee that your horse is consuming 50-50. Mm-hmm. It's quite possible that their natural behaviour is to select the yummiest food. So it's quite possible that when they move into a new paddock, they're eating almost entirely low oxalate grass and they're only then going to eat maybe the ceteria last if they're desperate. Mm-hmm. So you do have the opportunity to influence their oxalate intake by managing your pastures and your and your paddock rotations with your horses as well. So, yeah, you need to know your grasses and you also need to watch the horses and have a look around the paddock and see what they're preferentially grazing and what they leave um, either uneaten or, or they eat last. All right, all right. Then the next, the next point we've got, number four here, is to understand what oxalates are and why they're problematic in horse pastures. So what really happens in the gut stew? Yeah, so oxalates are a naturally occurring biomineral that um, have evolved in plants to help the plant regulate its own calcium levels. Um, I thought that it helps to improve light dispersion within the plant's leaf, so that helps the plant photosynthesise and, and make its food more efficiently. 
So whilst we consider oxalates a bit of a pet, the plant, the plant has them because they're useful and helpful to the plant. Um, so what the oxalates do, both inside the plant, but also in the gut stew, in the you know after the horse has consumed it, is that they they bind calcium, they bind loose calcium ions. So act a little bit like magnets. Each each oxalate molecule will grab hold of a single calcium ion if it can find one. Mm-hmm. So I suppose think a little bit like the way um, nails are attracted to a magnet. You know, they're, if yes. they're in there together and they're loose, they're going to come together. Now, once the calcium has bound to an oxalate molecule, it just continues on through the digestive tract and it's going to be passed in manure. So it can mean that even if your horse's diet has 100% the recommended daily intake of calcium, the proportion that gets bound up by the oxalates is not available for the horse to take up and utilise. Mm-hmm. So when that happens, um, horses can actually mine calcium from their bones in order to keep their other the calcium levels in other tissues, their blood and their muscle tissue, um, at a... It's a very highly regulated level. Blood has to have a certain amount of calcium in it, so it will pull it, prefer- preferably it will pull it from the gut, yep. but if it's not available, if there's not enough calcium coming into the bloodstream from the gut, it will mine the bones, um, and that leads to weak and brittle bones. Mm. Um, so effectively what your horse is getting is osteoporosis. Okay. And um, the, the condition is, is commonly referred to as big head disease. The vets sometimes call it nutritional secondary hyperparathroidism, if you can wrap your tongue around that. <laughs> um, but but horses can have this condition, uh, this big head condition, without having the, the swollen um, facial bones that we tend to associate with the disease. Okay. How can we recognise it? I mean, because if a horse has got you know, just the signs of um, big head. How do we know when our horses needs that extra calcium before we even get to that stage? Can we test or how do we know that? That's a difficult That's a difficult problem. The, the vets do have trouble um, offering and as a definitive diagnosis. Mm-hmm. They can measure hormone levels, but that won't necessarily pick up, pick up the problem um, depending on how far down the track the disease has progressed. So there are lots of signs to look for. A shifting lameness, um, a dull coat, they're not they're not easy signs to pinpoint. So I, I guess it means that the responsibility comes to us as owners. If your horse is likely to be eating a lot of high oxalate grass, then you are going to need to provide extra calcium to counter those oxalates that that are eaten. Um, Something else to bear in mind is that the amount of oxalate that your horse is eating can change over times of the year. So we've already talked about how they may not be choosing to eat high oxalate grasses, but if they do... The, the levels of oxalates in those grasses will, will vary depending on how old and mature the plant is, um, so what its stage of growth is, as well as any plant stress levels. So 
the amount of calcium in the plant, you know, it also affects the risk level of a high oxalate plant in terms of horse health. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's not quite, it's, it's not It's not simple, it's not straightforward and I think that's probably a part of the reason why why we get so concerned about it. Mm, mm, mm. So if we talk about the calcium supplements then we move on to that. I know you've got an interesting fact about some scientific studies. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, there's a bit of a, a myth abounding at the moment that, that horses have to have um, chelated calcium to avoid big head. But my fact is that scientists have known since the early 1980s and probably at least a decade earlier that if you feed inorganic sources of calcium, you can successfully prevent and control big head disease in horses grazing high oxalate pastures. A lot of the, the work in this area was conducted by Mackenzie and his colleagues in Queensland in Australia. So the basis of, of their work is that, first of all, we feed the oxalates that the horse is consuming. So we're going to feed calcium to the oxalates to shut them up and keep them quiet. They can have their calcium pass through the gut and we'll just ignore those. And then we and then we put enough calcium into the diet for the horse to utilise so that it can be absorbed into the blood and, and go around and do its thing. Okay. So, um, you know, you'll you'll sometimes hear that horses who were fed an inorganic source of, of calcium like limestone still develop big head, but you don't ever really get told were they having enough lime. It takes a lot of it does it takes a lot of white powder, whether it's a whether it's limestone, um, an inorganic calcium, or, or whether it's an organic chelated calcium. It just takes a lot of white powder to go into a horse to counter the oxalate levels for a horse who is on basically just a pasture diet. When when they're eating a lot of hard feed, when they're fed low oxalate hay, that has an impact obviously on the amount of oxalate that they consume. Okay. Okay. Now, now the chelated forms of calcium are they a hundred percent absorbed or not? No, no, okay. they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, again, there's there's a bit of a, a flying around that that organic or proteinate chelates are hundred percent absorbed, but this simply isn't true in horses. It's not true for any of the published literature relating to chelated calcium in horse nutrition. Um, but also also other minerals as well, not just calcium. So um, there's some research out there that shows that the uptake of a calcium proteinate is is sim- similar to the uptake of calcium carbonate, which is the scientific term for limestone. Okay. And and when calcium chelate costs a few dollars a day to give enough chelate to give enough calcium to the horse compared to a few cents a day when you're using the limestone, that is pretty important on on the owner's hip pocket. Yes, yes, definitely. We do want to talk, you know, a lot of our listeners are owners and um, do have to worry about the budget for keeping their horse, so everything there is important. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And just while we're we're talking about organic and inorganic, um, I always like to just throw in the, the fact that don't be confused with minerals when we start talking organic that they're natural and lovely and non-toxic. Um, they are non-toxic, but 
they're not they're not natural. They've actually been manufactured in a, in a laboratory. So it's a different it's a it's a chemistry word or organic rather than a rather than the one that's used in in more general use. Okay. So really, it's the inorganic minerals that are naturally occurring because they're they're coming from the ground. Okay. Okay. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Now, calcium source, which one should we choose then? Yeah. Okay. So the problem that we're really facing here is how are we going to get this grass-fed horse a whole lot of white powder? So mm-hmm. that we're able to provide enough calcium to to keep the horse healthy when it's consuming afterwards. Um, it, it's sort of it's difficult no matter which way you go. So if you if you choose the limestone, which is which is the cheapest option by a, a long shot, yep. a five hundred kilo horse. So your you know your average size horse who's grazing a high oxalate pasture is going to need to eat one hundred and seventy eight grams of limestone and bear in mind that that limestone is 34% elemental calcium so that is the most concentrated source of calcium that we have in a compound Mm -hmm. so 178 grams of limestone is giving our horse his recommended daily intake of 30 grams of calcium um, after we've fed the oxalates so because because the oxalates are able to bind the calcium in the limestone we need to, first of all, have an estimate of just how much oxalate is being eaten by the horse each day, um, put in enough calcium so that the oxalate can bind the calcium and pass it through, and then add enough extra limestone to feed the horse. So if we don't provide that extra calcium to feed the oxalate, the horse's body would begin to mine 40 grams of calcium from its body stores every day um, okay. to maintain the necessary calcium levels. So that's obviously a situation we want to avoid and, and that helps us understand, I guess, how we weaken bones if we're not providing the extra calcium to, to feed the oscillates as well as feeding the horse. Now, if we chose to use DCP, so that's another white powder, that's yes. an inorganic yep. form of calcium, ditalcium phosphate. If we chose to use that because it contains less calcium than the limestone, we'd need to be feeding over 300 grams a day to meet the requirements of a 500 kilo horse mm. Um, mm. grazing high oxalate pasture. Yep. Yep. This is sort of the this is sort of the most extreme case. This is for a horse who is able to get all the calories that he needs from grass alone. So it's not a horse that also is being fed supplementary feeds or, or extra hay. Um, we can actually reduce the amount of limestone we need to feed uh, by about ten grams for every kilo of loose and hay fed. Okay. So. There are, you know, there are some management tools that you can utilise as well to help reduce that problem of how am I going to get my horse to eat all this white powder. Mm. Gosh, that's a lot. That's a lot. Now, talk about the chelated calcium molecules. Tell me some ratios with them. Okay, so most calcium chelates are probably only going to be 15 to 20% calcium. 
So even though with the chelates we we don't have to feed the oxalate because the chelated calcium isn't absorbed by the by the oxalate molecule, we've only got to get our our 500 kilo horse the 30 grams of calcium that that is required to meet the recommended daily intake. We still have to feed 150 grams of the proteinate. So because it's only 20 calcium and the rest of it's the protein molecule that's carrying it into the body, um, we don't really overcome the problem of how we're going to get our horse to eat a lot of powder by, by using the, the chelated calcium. So the difference is uh, limestone, we'd need 178 grams. The chelated calcium, we'd need slightly less. We'd only need 150 grams uh, at 100 times the cost of the limestone. I just think it's not much of a reduction in the amount of the powder that we're trying to get our horse to eat to offset that much bigger expense. Mm, mm. Um, have, having said that, most big head supplements or you know supplements designed for horses grazing high oxalate pastures um, do contain a bit of a combination. So most of them will be mainly in organic mineral salts yep. like uh, limestone, so your calcium carbonate. Um, possibly some DCP, and then some of them also incorporate a calcium chelate so that the product, it becomes, it's biologically effective, but it's also affordable. Okay, okay. So, because that's quite a lot to take in, you know, if we know a little bit about big head and making sure that the horses have got a balanced diet, but if we're going to talk about the key management practices to minimise the oxalates and the calcium supplements coming into contact with each other, what would they be? So another way we can reduce how much powder we need to feed is to utilise management practices so that we stop the supplements coming into contact with the oxalate. Um, There are various things we can do to limit the oxalate intake um, and also to allow the calcium more time in the gut in, in the period of time when there's not a lot of oxalate in there so that we get a better uptake. So we can do things like, uh, you know, to reduce the amount of oxalate that the horse eats. If we provide um, some hard feed to that horse, because he's pretty much only going to eat 2% of body weight per day, the more hard feed that's fed, the less grass is going to be eaten. Um, also, the more, the more low oxalate, um, alternative forage that we can provide, I guess that's normal to be in the case of, of hay, um, the less grass the horse is going to eat. So both, both hay and grass can be used to reduce the amount of grazing. That's not going to work under all situations or times of the year either. Uh, so what else can we do? Um Let's think about how we can put some time and distance between the oxalates and the calcium supplements in the, in the gut. If if you've got enough time or you can organise your life so that you can bring your horse into a yard that doesn't have any high oxalate grass into it, sort of half an hour to an hour before feeding, um, and provide some low oxalate hay while they're waiting for their dinner, then come back out and give the hard feed or, or provide your calcium supplement after that period of time and then try to give the horse another half an hour to an hour of of eating low oxalate hay before you let them back out onto the pasture. 
that's that's a good way physically separate the oxalates from the from the calcium while it passes through the portion of the gut that that uptakes okay. calcium. Yep. And and if you choose loose and hay as as a part of that strategy, so you know it might not all be loose and hay, but if they're getting some loose and hay before and after their calcium supplement, that means that you actually need to feed less less calcium supplements as well because a kilo of loose and hay is going to contain around about 10 grams of calcium. Okay, that's good to know. You know, so it's that loose and before and after the feed ideally. Mm, And it's just a matter of of whether you can fit that sort of an arrangement into your life. You need to have the right sort of yards. You need to be able to have the time to bring the horses in and wait for them to eat and then put them back out. But it can make a significant difference hole in in the number of grams of calcium that we need horses to eat. Right. I, I think this is one of those ones, Larissa, that, um, you know, you've provided lots of information there and and some of it's just very good management practices. Some of it I might need to just go back and listen to this podcast again just to make sure that I do get all that information correct. Yeah. And I think probably a lot of listeners will too. You know, we all want to look after our horses better and make sure that they are getting the best. And of course, we're all on a budget too, you know, so we want to make sure that we've got that so that we can manage the ratio, the calcium phosphorus ratio, manage their diet, but work on a budget whenever we can. So, yeah, thanks very much for all that information. It's been really good talking to you again. Thank you. I hope it's useful and I I hope um, everyone can sort of figure out a way that works for them to allow them to utilise their their high oxalate grass as well as looking after their horse's health. Now, Larissa, if people would like to contact you again, your contact details will be on horsechats.com slash Larissa Bilston or slash Larissa Bilston 2. But if you'd like to just say those contact details again, just in case anyone's listening to them right now. Yeah, you can always contact me through the Equine Vitamin website. So that's www.equinevitamin.com. Um, or through Pharmalogic, so that is F-A-R-M-A-L-O-G-I-C dot info. Uh, there'll be a, a contact form on there and I'm, I'm more than happy to answer questions and, and help people through this, this technical minefield, um, which can be so frightening. It is a technical minefield, but we need experts like you to come along and help us through it. So thanks for offering that. I'm sure people take advantage of that. So good to talk to you, Larissa. Hopefully we'll catch up with you sometime soon. Thanks, Glennis. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.